Welcome to Trending Health, where we provide you with valuable insights and perspectives on the evolving healthcare industry. Brought to you by Dynamic, Trending Health explores industry topics that are real, relevant, and worth discussing. I'm your host, Jen Burke. With the start of a new year and initial rollouts of COVID-19 vaccinations underway, it's hard not to wonder what possibilities 2021 might hold for healthcare. After chatting with each of our sector advisors, I'm here with Dynamics' Mindy McGrath and Ryan Hummel to bring it all together and discuss what trends we can expect to see across the industry this year. So obviously the pandemic has and continues to still dominate conversations across the healthcare industry, but a lot of the trends we see coming into 2021 have been building for a while, and COVID has really just played the role of accelerator. One thing that has been majorly accelerated by the pandemic is that virtualization really is the new now. How do you see this push to digitization and virtualization continuing to play out in 2021? Yeah, so I think that um, clearly, right, when we talk about how COVID has amplified the opportunity in virtualization, while there may be some slowdown in certain areas of virtualization, like telehealth, um, I think what it's done is open the floodgates. And what we're seeing is that healthcare organizations and the industry as a whole kind of got their feet wet really quickly with virtualization. And so now the opportunity in 2021, and I think that the growth that we're going to see in this in 2021 is organizations and, and even end users, um, now that they've had this experience, really kind of fine tuning what that looks like and how they utilize it purposefully in their organization. So I think this trend continues to be something that we see grow and, and continue to accelerate uh, into 2021 and be, beyond. I, I agree, Mindy. Uh, one thing that I think about when I think about the huge lift in adoption, some of these virtual tools is this idea of this steep, very steep um, adoption rate. And it's been followed by a bit of a plateau, right? And it goes from this crazy utilization increase. And now I believe that uh, healthcare providers and firms are now taking this opportunity and this plateau to optimize wherever they are in the life cycle of that virtual technology. And, you know, if we look at the innovation kind of arc and life cycle, that, that's what happens with innovation. We get these steep inclines in utilization. And we may not be getting it right yet, but now there's going to be this time to collectively grieve and optimize and bake it into workflows and operating models and strategic plans. So I'm interested to see how that happens in 2021. Yeah, and you know, the interesting thing is um, I was reading an article about the fact that the next five years, right, the industry is going to see this rise in what we call like um, basically digital native users. So they will become the healthcare leaders, right, of in, within the next five years. And so this idea of using digital and virtualizing things is not going to be new to them. It's it's part of what they're used to. Only now they'll be moving into leadership positions where they can really help to affect like how that adoption actually gets incorporated into their organizations. I completely agree. I remember years ago, and I believe it was advisory board that created this really great pyramid of utilization of services. And the, the younger generation at the time, uh, you know, attributed to a lot of the population, but very little utilization based on their needs. Now they're becoming more utilizers of healthcare. And we know 
through lots of research that they do not have a primary care provider. They, they don't seek services like the past generation has. So this virtualization of healthcare is really playing into their, their maturation into the healthcare world. And I think when we're talking about virtualization, it's easy to think automatically about telehealth. But when I think about virtualization, and we think about it in the context of a trend in this industry, I think it's broader than that. I mean, we start to think about how health plans, right, will use virtualization to interact with their member base. And even how life sciences companies um, have gone beyond digital, right? Now are starting to think about how they virtualize things like clinical trials and R&D efforts. And so to me, the idea of like virtualization being the new now is it goes so far beyond telehealth. And it started with telehealth. We know telehealth was was kind of putting, you know, puttering along for a little while. And then COVID um, enabled the lifting of restrictions and some other different policy changes and reimbursement changes that that really cranked that up. But during this time, we've also seen that other types of healthcare organizations have realized that there's a real practicality in trying to adopt you know, virtual elements into their operating model. So I think that that we're not only going to see the growth of virtualization in terms of just regular adoption, but just its application is going to be much more expansive across the healthcare industry. Similarly, we've talked about providers, life sciences, and health plans. Healthcare technology, you know, you think about virtualization as being part of healthcare technology, but there are actual healthcare technology uh, companies that are creating virtual ways to educate even caregivers, nurses, and doctors. And instead of going into the into the hospital or instead of creating literature, they're actually creating virtual learning environments where you can get the same use case and the same type of training through bots and, and, and uh, AI. And it's fascinating to see. And I think that is going to be accelerated this year and the coming three to five years as well. Such great points, Mindy and Ryan. I think it's been fascinating to see this rapid expansion of virtualization, not only in adoption, um, but also in terms of fully across the industry and the variety of digital solutions that we're seeing pop up. I think accompanying this push to digitization, we've seen continue to build as we're heading into 2021, this business model and partnership innovation. The boundaries between the different healthcare sectors are really blurring and we're seeing new and opportunistic players moving into other parts of the healthcare value chain. Based on what we saw in 2020, what or even who can we expect to see in this space in 2021? You know, Jen, I think when you think about this as a trend, it is one of those trends that is not in its infancy. It's been a trend that we've been talking about for a couple of years now. And it continues to be, uh, I think, built up and continues to move forward as a trend because our system here in the United States is just so highly fragmented when you think about it. And so opportunities abound, right, for, for all types of healthcare organizations to really think about um, how they develop new capabilities, how they are able to expand um, the way that they do things differently and do that through partnerships, alliances. And a lot of this, this is being infused by the very thing Ryan was talking about, and that is new technologies. And you know, testing and trialing different types of technologies that may help um, really build 
capabilities may help fill gaps and may drive innovation. And so I think like the reason when we talk about business innovation almost as a, a yearly trend is because this industry continues to dabble in different things to try to figure out like where do they fit in the new value chain and how do they get not only sustainability, but really start to thrive in an industry that's that's starting to go through some really um, significant change. And so I think that that for me, at least when I think about business models and innovations, this is one of those trends that's really kind of a driver for almost a lot of other trends that we'll be talking about in 2021. Yeah, you know, it's funny, Mindy, I recall us having uh, conversations in the past year about the influx of money being invested in technology for new startups, uh, you know, several years past. And now that some of these companies have begun, you know, to commercialize and get larger, there are so many options for healthcare companies to partner with, license with, uh, join forces with, that the, the choices are, are almost unlimited. There are so many opportunities to do so. So it's going to be interesting to see how uh, kind of an old guard of hospitals and health systems figure out a new way to partner. You know, it's not just about mergers and acquisitions. It's about licensing and being transactional partners and, and not necessarily putting all your eggs in one basket. And we've seen that a lot as a trend as well when it comes to cross-sector uh, innovation and partnerships is that, you know, a health system or a hospital or even um, a health plan doesn't really necessarily want to partner with one specific um, uh, startup or, or technology or digitization company, but they want to try each one. And that's just a real fascinating trend I see in this space as well. Yeah, Ryan, I think when... We had also talked about the fact that when you look at the market conditions, right, in the U.S. healthcare market, the fact that there are so many financial and regulatory and market headwinds that have really been pushing this industry forward in terms of doing things differently. And what we're seeing is that across the healthcare industry, whether it's a, a health system or a life sciences company or a health plan or even a healthcare technology or public health organization, they're all adopting these ideas of sprints, right? Mm -hmm. And trying to figure out like what types of solutions do they bring to the market, how they might bring different service offerings to the market to really meet what the new expectations may be that are starting to bubble up in the marketplace. So, um, you know, I think when we think about business models and innovations, this is one of those, those things that we're going to continue to see organizations that have the the appetite and the chops, right, to dip their toe in the water in different things. And then in some cases, maybe decide that that, that partnership or that alliance actually worked itself out to the point that they want to make something more permanent. You know, it reminds me of this, you know, no longer new idea of design thinking, right? And the idea that you're experimenting quickly and testing ideas before a large investment and in implementation. And creating this kind of minimal, minimum viable product, I guess. Uh, you know, it, we think about the kind of traditional way we used to partner in the healthcare industry. It's you would build something from soup to nuts, and you only discover if you are successful in that at the end, right? And that's a lot of investment. And with design thinking or the idea of design thinking in the um, partnership space, you actually know very early if that little test or that low fidelity example is going to work. And we're seeing that change and innovation in a lot of a lot of 
companies across all sectors of the healthcare to, to quickly test and fail forward or succeed quickly. And I see that trend increasing in the future. Yeah, and I think, Jen, to your point about who do we think we're going to see show up um, in this, this trend, I think we're going to continue to see tech giants really jumping into the fray here. Um, and I think we're also going to see some really unconventional partnerships. I mean, we've already seen some of them in the past. I don't see any reason why that won't continue to be part of this trend is that, um, you know, pharma companies that may be partnering with um, the likes of Google or an AI organization, right? Because they're trying to figure out how to do things differently. And so I think that that's something we're going to continue to see is just, you know, really things that haven't been normal in the past are normal today or normal this year. Yeah, I think one of the things that's so interesting about um, this business model innovation and the partnerships that accompany it is, you know, more and more the care model innovation that we're seeing that's being enabled, you know, by those innovations or those partnerships, right? Like this idea where we now have plans, providers, pharmacies, life science companies talking about the redesign of healthcare as a platform versus a series of disconnected events, I think is just so disruptive to how um, we've approached healthcare in the past. Well, I think a lot of that's being driven, right, by cost pressure. I mean, you look at the fact that that cost pressure, reimbursement pressures, um, this drive to, to things like value-based healthcare, I mean, all of that is an impetus for why you're starting to see this type of trend pop up. Um, so, and I th then I think the other piece of it, right, is just the idea that you can't do what you've been doing and expect it to be successful in an environment where change is upon us. And so I think that those are the types of things that are starting to feed this trend. And Ryan, I know you live in, in the provider sector and you see what's going on from a care model um, perspective. So I'd love to get your take on it because I think there's a lot of interesting things going on with health systems as they contemplate what care model innovation actually means to them. Yeah, you mentioned cost as the big driver and there is another lever that we talk, we talk about all the time and it's the idea of the shift to value. And, you know, I think over the last generation of healthcare, those two forces rarely worked in concert with each other. They were in direct conflict with each other. And health systems are trying very hard to take the cost element and drive value at the same time for their patients. And there is, there's an interesting paradox that we're seeing happening both on a micro level and I think across the country is uh, the COVID pandemic has definitely exposed, you know, we talk about this a lot, the idea of physician practices, for example, uh, who, you know, there was this broad consolidation that was happening probably a decade or less ago, and then it kind of uh, changed a little bit. And a lot of independent physician practices were able to maintain their independence, joining a physician aggregator group, joining an ACL, those things. And just in the last year, we've seen an influx of health systems acquire physician practices. And why I'm telling you that and why I think it's important is there's a little bit of a paradox. I think that some independent physician practice groups have done an excellent job of driving down costs and providing value to their patients and their panel size, probably a little better than large physician practices that are owned by healthcare systems. The problem is they're not able to sustain that for the long term. So they may be forced to be joining forces with the health system, which ultimately may be good because they can take those best practices and all of those gain sharing um, wins and share them hopefully with the rest of the practices in a, in a network, for example, 
and create this value-based organization or group and drive down costs. Yeah, That's the hopefulness in me anyway. <laughs> There's the hopefulness in you. Always the optimist, Ryan. You know, the thing I think is interesting too, like when we talk about care model, I think we tend to also um, obviously align ourselves with providers, but I think about what the pharmacies are doing. And I think about somebody like a CVS, right, who is really trying to put pieces together to create a care model that looks and feels very different than what has previously existed in the healthcare system and how they are positioning themselves, right, as this like healthcare hub and innovating from there on the delivery and the model of care based on what was their core business and then extending beyond that using the other trend that we talked about, which is partnerships, alliances to try to come up with new and different types of business models to meet consumer needs. I think about this a lot. We use CBS as a test case or, or use case of this idea of a hub, a hub of healthcare. I, I believe that uh, IDNs or large health systems that have um, you know, a health plan attached to them, a great partnership with the health plan that have closed pharmacies, they, they could replicate the idea of a hub within their community and create a healthcare hub themselves using kind of the tenants and the, and the components of the model that CVS does. And I think those health systems that are able to do that and create a community, a hub community in a smart way are going to uh, sustain themselves for the long term. Yeah. I think part of the key to success for them is going to be rethinking or developing a mindset that's um, more consumer focused. I think this is a trend that's very much still in its infancy but it's not for lack of attention, right? There is definitely, um, there are definitely organizations out there and health systems and other types of healthcare organizations that are thinking about how they can actually innovate on the, the current care model to make it better and to be ahead of the game when it comes to their competitive landscape. Yeah, Mindy. Well, the sort of care model innovation trends that we're seeing maybe in their infancy, I think one of the drivers behind the care model innovation and the business model innovation uh, trend um, is a trend that's very much not in its infancy. And I think it's the continued push to shift towards value across the reimbursement model. I think the healthcare system as a whole is starting to move off fee for service in response to macro. You know, more and more life science companies are getting into physician based products and investigating value based contracting. It really seems now more than ever that value really is the differentiator in the healthcare industry. Could not agree with you more, Jen. I think that COVID really exposed the weakness of having a fee-for-service system and how much risk it put an entire sector of the healthcare system in. And honestly, I mean, I think we've started to see that as more and more types of value-based models are rolling out into the marketplace, it's quickly becoming apparent that the value-based care model is no longer an opt-in and that the new normal of healthcare over the next couple of years is really going to be, I think, driven by this idea of risk sharing and operational performance and quality. And that all rolls up under this umbrella that we talk about when we talk about value. Um, so I think that's the context, right, for this specific trend that we're talking about is that it's here, it's been here, the train has left the station and now it's just how quickly does it get accelerated into the healthcare system as the new way to really drive reimbursement? 
I agree completely, Mindy. I think it does expose that weakness. And it also, what we've seen is it's very hard to operationalize a value-based company or healthcare company. We've seen that with Haven, you know, the healthcare startup uh, founded by Amazon and partners of Berkshire Hathaway, JP Morgan Chase. I think everyone had grand hopes of that, you know, kind of unbiased meeting of these incredible companies to start build something that we could emulate. And it was well-funded. It had all the components to make something happen. And they just had a hard, hard time finding disruption, right? And, you know, you read about why that is. And one, you know, it's really hard to understand and build out a new model. But it's also, you know, about a group working cohesively with a common goal. These companies really seem to be executing their own project with their own employees and kind of losing their North Star on what they were trying to achieve. So, I, I, you know, it goes without saying that there is definitely this weakness exposed with the fee-for-service reimbursement and the difficulty it is to kind of really focus on value-based healthcare. Yeah. And we've talked about it before, right? The fits and the starts that we've seen, even in, in some of the um, pilot programs that have been rolled out by CMS over the course of the last couple of years. But I think what we're, we're starting to realize, though, is that um, this is not just a payer provider economic model either. When we're talking about a healthcare system that recognizes that there needs to be change. It's just going to be a little bumpy, I think, to get there. But I do think this trend is one that we see accelerating um, in 2021 and then starting to continue its growth into you know, the next couple of years because it's inevitable, uh, especially when you look at the economics of a fee-for-service model. At some point, something's going to, some some entity is going to say, I give, right? Whether it's the employer-sponsored aspect of our healthcare system, whether it's the Medicare trust funds that can no longer afford it. I mean, that is the reason why fee-for-service replaced models have, have come out in the marketplace is because there is a recognition that that economic model is probably no longer viable. Um, and I agree, like I, I applaud Haven for giving it an effort. Um, and, and I think what we're gonna see is some organizations get it right and they understand and embrace it and lean in to the fact that value-based is here and then figure out how do they align their organization to really make that work for them versus you know, trying to fight what has been like a norm for them in terms of their operating model or their financial models um, and recognize that there's a big change that has to occur to make this happen. Mindy mentioned CMS and some of their rules and regulations regarding Medicare and Medicaid. And I think the intentions have been really good of driving value-based healthcare. However, I think from a consumer perspective and the consumer being healthcare systems and physicians, there seems to be this reset every couple of years of what, ex, what is their, what is the expectation? And it's almost like a rip and replace, you know, they, 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 that is, that is the impression that I think a lot of providers get from that. So they're never really going to buy into something and get that change management piece right around value base until there's some sustainable foundation of what we're trying to achieve. And I think that's going to be a challenge for CMS to say, you know, we'll tweak these things, but this is the foundation of what we're trying to do. And I think meeting something in the middle will be a really great, um, goal for the, for the government and policy and the actual users and the people and the physicians enabling those policies. Yeah, Ryan, taking that one step further, I think what is also going to be interesting this year is to see how those providers that have really started to adopt value-based models, 
start to pull in the pharmacy aspect of it, because that is another real piece of this equation that I think for a long time, life sciences companies have probably felt inoculated from. Uh, and what we started to see last year, and I think plays into this year, is that health systems that are getting comfortable in their own skin when it comes to some of their value-based um, practices are going to start looking at the pharmacy piece of this to say, well, how does that fit in terms of you know, measuring our performance, right? measuring our outcomes, measuring our quality, and holding life sciences companies equally accountable in those value-based models. There's this notion of outcomes and in within the value uh, scheme, but that's really just a reimbursement model. I think even across the industry, we've started to see this broader acknowledgement that we can't just focus on utilization when we're talking about healthcare. We have to get to this idea of whole person health plus care. How do you guys see this coming forward in 2021? We've been talking about social determinants of health for a while now. And I think when you think about the fact that so many studies suggest that what drives the utilization in our healthcare system isn't necessarily health related, it's environmentally related, it's behaviorally related. And so you know, I think there's two components of this trend when we think about it. It's the health plus the healthcare, and it's creating environments of health and helping to move up the risk continuum um, to think about prevention and how those elements kind of play into the total aspect of, of an individual's health. The other piece I think of when I think about whole person care goes beyond, you know, healthcare is just like, what are consumer expectations today, right? So if we think about this, right, in terms of just our demographics and like younger generations, right, are taking a much more active approach to their health. They're, they, they like working out. They like, you know, doing things that help them with self-care. And so I think what we start to see finally is like not only a recognition, but that healthcare organizations realize that there's an opportunity here to figure out whether they reframe their position in the marketplace by starting to offer solutions, services, interactions that empower individuals to really be treated in a more holistic manner. It's kind of a, a pyramid, if you will, right? It's, it's kind of a, a step in a stepwise fashion of how we get from traditional patient to an engaged patient who actively manages her or his health setting wellness goals with full access to medical info and care team from a virtual perspective, proactively engaging his or her healthcare team beyond that traditional office visit. All those things to me talk about whole health and the elements before whole health is the idea of value-based healthcare, the idea of virtualization, all of those things culminate in potentially, uh, you know, a, a revolutionary way that we manage healthcare in this country through whole person health. And I, I think that the elements are there if we just keep moving forward. And Ryan, I think like one of the other aspects of this that you just touched on is like, think about just the wearables market, right? And how wearables start to play a piece in this. But now there's technology that is enabling the ability to share all that information that, that's gathered with your healthcare provider or with your health coach. Um, so I think some of this is also about where we are in terms of our ability to start to triangulate data and share data 
and, and almost have like an ongoing dialogue, right, with those around you that will help your health stay in a good spot, right, or stay in a good place. So that's, you know, I, I think you touched on it, Ryan, when you were talking about um, just how technology is kind of opening up this idea of this trend taking shape around just being more holistic around a person's health. Yeah, I think another factor that, you know, technology is really enabling and um, that will boost this engagement even further across the healthcare market is this personalization of health that is now possible based on the advancement in technologies, the scientific platforms, things like the wearables that we have, or even down to more scientifically, the advances in genetic testing, genome analysis, mm -hmm. liquid biopsies, things are getting a lot more sophisticated and um, they're no longer this one size fits all market. You know, it's very clear that one size doesn't fit all and consumers of healthcare services are starting to expect that uh, what they get is digestible and shoppable. They're able to compare their care. They're able to see approaches that are tailored to their specific data and their specific needs rather than feeling like they're being pushed into a single solution. Yeah, for sure. I think this is one of those trends that we see um, that are is a result of you know trends past or trends that are maybe more mature. And consumers are definitely taking advantage of it. I think also when we think about the idea of, of personalization, right? We also see the healthcare industry and healthcare organizations realizing that there are consumer expectations that are now starting to really make their way into these organizations. And so they're starting to think about that, right? In terms of how do you make things more digestible for consumers? How do you interact with them in a more personalized manner? Um, because consumers are demanding it, right? They want an experience that feels similar to other types of service industries. And so I think it's it's almost like the rubber meets the road on this one between the idea of consumerism, right? And acknowledgement of new types of business models and innovations that come together to say, okay, given that and the advancements in technology, there is opportunity here to really personalize healthcare and make sure that it feels like one size doesn't fit all. Well, Mindy and Ryan, I know that we've only scratched the surface of these trends and could probably talk about them for hours on end. Uh, but I am happy to let you and our listeners know that we'll be diving into each of these trends in more detail throughout the rest of our season. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Trending Health. For links to resources discussed in the episode, to subscribe to the Trending Health podcast, and explore if Dynamic can help your company manage ongoing healthcare industry change, visit trendinghealth.com. Tune into the next episode where we look forward to providing you with more insights on the healthcare industry.